1: This week on Truth and Movies, it's Ford versus Ferrari in James Mangold's Le Mans 66. This isn't the first time Ford Motors gone to war. We know how to do more than push paper. Go ahead, Carol. Go to war. It's Driver versus Johansson in Noah Baumbach's divorce drama Marriage Story.
0: Molly and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore.
1: And in Film Club, it's Steve McQueen versus Hollywood itself in the 1971 racing flick Le Mans.
2: A lot of people go through life doing things badly. Racing's important to men who do it well. And racing, it's life.
1: All coming up in Truth and Movies, a White Lies podcast. Hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Ida here in the host chair, sitting across this week from Adam Woodward of Little White Lies. Hello. And since we're talking about Le Monde this week, we should get La Manuela. <laughs> Manuela Lazic. Hi. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> so, uh,
2: thanks for having me for this great pun. Yes. Uh, or, ju- or just Le Mans. Le Mans. Le Mans. Yeah. That's good. <laughs>
1: How have you been, Manuela? What community? Uh
2: Very good, yeah. All good. Writing is going well, you know, the freelancer lifestyle. I'm also trying to get more into acting, but that's another story. But okay. Yeah, all good? Okay,
1: good. <laughs> Adam, before we get on to the new releases, we do have big Little White Lies news, don't we, this week. The new issue has been unveiled.
0: It has, yeah. Um, our our sort of take on uh, the Safdie brothers' new film, Uncut Gems, which we all saw uh, a few months ago. I think it was the surprise film at the LFF, and David and I managed to sneak ourselves into that. And yeah, it's, it's a pretty remarkable film. Anyone who's seen... Heaven knows what, or Good Time, oh, yeah. which is on Netflix. This is very much in the same vein as something like Good Time. One of the most intense experiences I can remember. Uh, having in a cinema that certainly recently but yeah we've done a whole issue around that got some really cool stuff in there with the safety brothers charles bromesco our new york guy on the ground there is has done a really cool feature just walking around the diamond and jewelry district mm-hmm. of new york and, and nick Pinkton's written an amazing piece on adam sandler's netflix career and a reshaping of his comic persona so yeah really really worth checking out that issue
1: Brilliant. I can't wait not to read the issue, of course, but can't wait to see Uncut Gems, particularly since watching the variety actors on actors interview between brad pitt and adam sandler where brad Ooh. pitt just geeks out and makes adam sandler look very uncomfortable yeah. where he's just oh man that film <laughs> I, <laughs> I, do, friends I do love that picture of them just embracing and brad pitt looks like he, i mean looks like he's meeting his childhood hero <laughs> or something. it's Aww. great exactly yeah maybe yeah. have a look at that as well listeners but we should crack on with new releases this week since film club is racing themed we'll bump le mans 66 to go side by side with le mans so let's start with marriage story Marriage Story is now Nowa Baumbach's portrait of a marriage breaking up and a family staying together. Charlie, played by Adam Driver, has become a star director in New York theatre. Meanwhile, his wife Nicole, played by Scarlett Johansson, aims to get her acting career back on track and leaves for L.A. with their son to audition for a pilot. Their relationship suffers, and when they engage lawyers, Laura Dern and Ray Liotta, to handle their coast-to-coast separation process, they become victims of the ugly, poisonous divorce industry. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. She's He's very, very competitive.
0: competitive. So I'll tell Charlie what's happening, and Cassie, you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Can you unserve? What do you mean, like,
1: take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Dream Mom! Charlie Bird! <laughs> <laughs> Mom. Mom. <laughs> what? A clip from the very chipper sounding trailer for Marriage Story there with a bit of a sense of who's in the supporting cast including one of my favorite actresses at the moment Merritt Weaver mm. who's brilliant. Manuela, was that representative of the film?
2: Not quite. I think the the film has moments of comedy and that scene is actually quite funny, but it's left me mostly depressed. I think in a okay way. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't go to the movies to feel nothing, so it's quite dark and it's quite Depressing is the right word, I think, because it really makes you feel a sort of powerlessness because I think it's called marriage story for a reason. It's not called divorce story because it's about how a marriage is a complicated thing. Not that I speak from experience from my own, but it's really about how you can see relationships with people that you love get destroyed quite quickly. Quickly and surprisingly, and things spiral out of control. And, yeah, so that scene, for instance, is a comedy scene, but it's it's about the wife, so Nicole, played by Scarlett Johansson, trying to give divorce papers to Adam Driver. And that's funny, but it comes at the worst possible moment for him, obviously for her as well, because it's never fun to do. It Behind the comedy of the moment, it's just really, really sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just heartbreaking. And, yeah, but the the whole film... It's quite long, it's two hours and 15, but it's, it manages to kind of carry you along even though it's depressing because you you get not only attached to people, that's a bit simplistic to say, but you, you also just wonder what happened, really. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think that's maybe one of the points of the film that I think isn't the strongest because right. I think we do get a sense of you know why these people don't like each other anymore. But it's not the full picture, which I know is... A hard thing to to, to get, but it, from the perspective of uh, Noah Baumbach, it feels quite limited, especially with the Adam Driver character.
1: Baumbach in the past has given us portraits of dysfunctional family yeah. units, Squid and the Whale, the Meyerowitz stories most mm-hmm. recently as well. And in this one it does seem like he's narrowing his focus. The very first scene is them going to a separation counselor. They know mm. they're going to break up but they don't know how. And it's only really through the engagement with these lawyers that they're pushed very yeah. much headfirst into the contentious mm. side of divorce.
2: The, the thing I liked about the film is that it really fo- first focuses on the woman and she gets to do some soul searching and find out why exactly she wants out. And that's really interesting and it's obviously written by Noah Baumbach but I think it's quite for a man he's really like perceptive and 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 he really gives us a great part in that sense but then when the focus shifts to Adam Driver's character there isn't that much soul searching which Mm -hmm. is you know maybe just due to the character not being a very self-aware person which is fine but in terms of cinematic interest it's quite frustrating and Adam Driver, his part is mostly about him dealing with the practicalities of the divorce, which are horrible, but he doesn't get to do as much questioning of himself and what happened and why things went south. And all credit is due, though, to Adam Driver, who I think fills the gaps with his own talent, Mm -hmm. because to be able to act those scenes of, you know, confusion and frustration, he has to tell himself what it means to him as an actor, as a person, and he really makes you feel that. Like, it makes you feel that there's something going on in this man's head. But it never really comes to the surface, and so it feels kind of like the film is skewed to his interest, to the man's interest, because all he says is, I don't understand why we're going through this horrible process. We didn't need to do this. Whereas the woman, she has all these reasons that seem in retrospect, when you've reached the end of the film, they seem quite, like, lofty, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it still feels a bit unfair to me. Even though the point of the film is to have both perspectives, I think we don't really get both arguments in the same way. It's
1: there in the poster and in the credits as well where the actors are given top equal billing, almost like this is uh, the towering Inferno or something. (laughs) It's just these two figures in this film. And, And there are these central sequences where they're mostly shot in one take, and it's these two characters in a room together. And I wonder, on an acting level, Manuel, with your recent interest in acting, <laughs> are they doing different work than we've seen before, Scarlett Johansson being someone we've mainly seen in blockbuster yeah. comic book movies?
2: I think they're both doing really amazing work, especially in that big fight scene, which I'm sure people will really love. It's really quite reminiscent of, obviously, Kramer vs. Kramer and all those 70s argument movies, like the Cassavetes movies. But... um Yeah, I do feel like Adam Driver is so high above everyone else. Like Scarlett Mm -hmm. Johansson is doing amazing work, but I think he's doing more than he's ever done and he's incredibly heartbreaking. And in the film, the character is referred to by his ex-wife as a big bear. And he really is like that because he's massive, but he's also just like this towering force of nature who gets to see his life break down. And that's quite impossible to... To watch but he's making it so so compelling and i think it's actually a problem for adam driver like he's so much better than everyone else and no one else <laughs> can compete so he's kind of like alone at the top and but it makes for a really great portrayal of a man that actually if anyone else would portray him i would probably have much less patience with him
1: and he's playing a dad as well I haven't seen that yeah. before that's something new that's true adam um What's your take on Marriage Story? Yeah, I,
0: I guess just touching on um, what Manuela was saying, I think the kind of idea here is that Adam Driver's character has flourished in the New York theatre scene, he's, he's very highly regarded and revered by his peers, and he's been allowed to really grow as a person, and Nicole hasn't been... And, and her argument, I guess, is that he sort of stunted her growth. His success has stunted her growth. And so, like, what, you, what you're saying about it's, it's kind of her having this awakening, having this moment of this is the person I, I've prevented myself or been prevented from becoming. And now mm. I want to actually, like, pursue this and, and, and try and grow. So it is skewed more towards her side of the story.
2: I mean, that's the thing. It's at the same time, we understand better her side, but we don't get the sense that the man cares about this, even though it's Noah Baumbach who made the movie. So it's kind of confusing.
0: We should caveat all this by saying that this is a very personal film for Noah Baumbach. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of his work, I I suspect, is, but he went through quite a kind of messy, from all accounts, and public divorce. And um, he's obviously now with Greta Gerwig, but his divorce undoubtedly is the kind of source material, I think, yeah. for this. Specifically, I think, his experience with, as you said, the divorce industry in, mm-hmm. in LA and in America. So mm-hmm. maybe I was expecting it to be a bit more in favour of the male perspective, but I think it, he does and try just... and even it out slightly. I think I just found yeah. Adam Driver's character less convincing. Frankly, I didn't really buy him as this revered theatre director I mean not until the very end of the film where he there's this amazing like double performance from Stephen Sondheim's musical company Mm -hmm. Um, Scarlett Hansen is kind of performing this idea that she's in a better place in in her life and she's happier and Adam Driver is um, letting it all out right it's this very cathartic moment for him and that's the point where I thought okay he's actually convinced me in this role now Mm. but before that I, I felt like he was a little bit underdeveloped maybe
2: yeah I think the the whole background of them being on the theater scene is a problem a little bit because it feels very much like a tacked on thing like a cliche background where you know we see them in rehearsals and all the other actors are chatting about them and all those moments with the supporting actors I think are kind of cringy because I think Bombag is trying to evoke a Woody Allen thing which is fine everybody's doing it but I don't think it quite works because it kind of breaks the realism of everything else because all these characters are like the perfect you know supporting actor in a theater troupe just talking shit all the time about everyone else and being super smug about the the scene and being like oh there's so much space in LA haha I mean I don't have a reference point for that but it's,
0: it's very very smug in, in terms of observations as well they they do mm. feel very superficial and yeah he's obviously, obviously been compared to people like Woody Allen a lot and he he feels like he really leans into that comparison mm. for the first time um, and the Ingmar Bergman thing as well. I mean, there's a Mm -hmm. very direct and deliberate reference to scenes from A Marriage here, which uh, Matt Thrift in his review for us, which you can read in the mag, he sort of says it's very much Bambach saying, right, let's just get that out of the way before anyone else draws that comparison. But I don't know whether that in itself actually whether that's successful and whether he excuses himself there. Mm. But, you know, it does feel like something which is a very purely Baumbachian mode of storytelling. And and I think for better and worse, like there's some amazing scenes in this, amazing performances. We talk about the, the big argument scene and some wonderful moments with Adam Driver's character and the son as well, yep. um, when he's trying to make an effort to actually set up a life in L.A. and essentially connect with his son for the first time which you realise he he hasn't really attempted to do or, mm. or thought he had a, a stronger connection certainly but for every amazing scene I think there's a few dud scenes and mm. for me Bambach trips up on this I mean it's something that he does quite often I think in his work but introduces more interesting characters than the ones you're supposed to be invested in mm. so mm. Ray otters Divorce Lawyer and Laura Dern's Divorce Lawyer I mean they feel like they've just been ripped out of another movie mm-hmm. and, and air dropped into this and I think they they cause kind of chaos in a very entertaining way but I'm not sure whether actually their performance is a little bit over the top and a bit jarring in terms of the mm-hmm. very quiet very kind of somber and ruminative film that
1: am <clears throat> trying to tell Well that gets to the heart of perhaps what I find quite confounding about this film is that it feels like maybe three or four ideas bolted together you have that almost absurd look at the divorce industry, the way that these two people want to split up amicably. But once lawyers get involved, they're going through the wardrobe, pulling out all the skeletons in the closet, revisiting old conversations, redressing old wounds. Mm. Then you also have... Scenes that are almost from a farce about breaking up. The scene we heard in the trailer where Merritt Weaver is given the responsibility of handing the divorce papers and she can't do it. Oh, I hated that scene. And then there's also the scene uh, later in the film where Adam Driver is ob- observed by a child expert to see how he's a good dad.
2: That's the best.
1: And, which is probably one of the it's better scenes. It's a horror scenes. film. But it's it is amazing. also <laughs> this almost short film in its own right that's yeah. worth studying. Likewise, it's this raw emotional journey through the dissolution of a relationship Mm. while trying to maintain one relationship, which is parents for this child. Mm. And they do jar against each other. There is that aspect with thinking about Neil Baumbach and his autobiographical view. He's used his own life as inspiration for many of his films from Squid and the Whale onwards. But also, I've read in interviews that... Scarlett Johansson brought a lot from her own divorce mm-hmm. into her character. Laura Dern apparently based her character on a divorce lawyer she had or knew. So I think Noah Baumbach is probably more collaborative than we think. He might actually mm-hmm. be a bit more like the director we see in the film, where he's you know, mm-hmm. not, not manhandling his characters, but he's being yeah. you know carried by them as well. So it doesn't really come together. But what you can't really deny is that there's a bruising quality mm-hmm. to the performances and uh, there's something compelling about those characters. And I guess it's probably true to life in that,
0: you know, we're all trying to Juggle and balance different relationships, mm. and not just with our, our partner, but children and friends and other family members, and even ourselves, right? And and those things don't always work in harmony, and there can be conflict. So, yeah. I guess in a way, it's fitting that the film does feel a little bit, like you said, there's different ideas and different um, relationships kind of fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different forces at work.
2: Mm. Yeah, but I agree that it's it's possible to do it. But I think the way he's doing it is kind of trying to do both Woody Allen and Cassavetes at the same time, so it's a bit confusing. For instance, the the scene with Merritt Weaver and the envelope is painful because the acting is fine, but the editing is insane. It makes no sense. And it's just, it's just you feel like the, th- the scene is escaping you and it's just happening and you just have to wait for it to end. And that's completely in contrast to the argument scene, which is super lived in and super just shot with a shot. You don't need any extra stuff to make it interesting because these actors are doing their job. And the actors in the scene with Merritt Weaver are doing th- their jobs, but they're just being cut up in pieces and mm-hmm. it's and it's frustrating. So I think the mix of ideas and tones is also in the directing, the filmmaking, and that's a bit strange because I think the script can can have all of these things at the same time because that's true. Like a marriage is uh, many things. It's ridiculous. It's It's sad and it's about you and the wife and or the partner and everyone else so that's fine but it's just in terms of because that's why the screen in the world works I think because it's kind of um, coherent mm-hmm. even though it has moments that are really sad That the whole thing works of a piece and yeah it's a contained the- film
1: Squid and the Whale was viewed from the child's point of view almost as a remove of mm. their parents splitting up. This is yeah. You feel very much in the whirlwind. As much as this tries to be even-handed yeah. and pay respects to both sides, it's it's definitely told from the point of view of a, a guy who's been through this process, yeah, I feel. Manuela, what, what scores would you give this in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect?
2: I think anticipation I'd say four because I do love these actors, but I haven't loved all of Bombac's stuff, mm. but I was excited because I heard good things. Enjoyment, probably three or four, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. They're really frustrating things about this film. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, I would say four, because I do recommend it, even if only for the acting. And because it's a film that, not many films are made like that these days. It's nice to see a film that's about literally just a divorce, not about, you know, bombings or whatever. Mm -hmm. Adam?
0: Yeah, I'd say four for anticipation and probably just about a four for enjoyment and a three in retrospect, because it's being released on Netflix, the idea of couples sitting down to watch this <laughs> at, at home, for the kids to bed, yeah, is, is quite amusing. It's called to me. Marriage Story,
2: yeah. To be I mean,
0: that trailer does make it sound overly chipper, like you say. Yeah, well, yeah. The ukuleles uh, on the trailer, yeah. Hopefully, people know what they're getting into, but there's a sweetness and a lightness to the film, as well. and I think there's an optimism to it. And mm-hmm. I guess it just depends where you're coming from, where the viewer is coming from,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I, for me, fours across the board. I think that Noah Baumbach's made some of my favorite films of the last decade and a half and even when they don't fully deliver I always enjoy watching them and talking about them and I think this is another good entry into that canon but that's Marriage Story in some cinemas this week and on Netflix later in the month up next we're going from Driver to Racing Drivers in Le Mans 66 Matt Damon and Christian Bale star in the true story of American car designer Carroll Shelby and British-born driver Ken Miles, who together build a revolutionary race car for Ford Motor Company and take on the dominating race cars of Enzo Ferrari at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in France in 1966.
0: You're going to build a car to beat Ferrari with a Ford. Correct. Correct. How long did you tell them that you needed? Two, three hundred years? Ninety
2: days. (laughs) This isn't
1: the first time Ford Motors has gone to war. We know how to do more than push paper. Go ahead, Carol. Go to war. And that's a clip from Le Mans 66, a rare film, because it features Brummy Bale. How does that play out, Adam?
0: Yeah, so he's playing this character who I wasn't really that familiar with. I sort of have a, I, yeah, I'm better on history of like uh, Formula One in the 60s, you know, Jackie Stewart, Graham Hill mm-hmm. kind of era. Didn't really know much about this guy. He's, he's a bit of a kind of enigma, I think in the film as well. So Ken Miles, whose sort of name sounds like the punchline to a joke about long distance motor racing anyway. <laughs> um, Christian Bale is having a lot of fun in this movie, I think. He's putting on this very convincing Brummie accent actually as well um, Katrina Balfe who who plays his wife Molly also very very good I mean this could have been a very thankless kind of supporting role for her and I think she does a lot with it and certainly more she than, than the maybe, most she can yeah does the <laughs> most she can um, I mean a lot of the time she is just kind of bringing him cups of tea and things yeah. but they had some very nice moments together but essentially this is a story powered by this idea of I guess very like male or masculine obsession all to do with kind of motor racing and competing and the setup is that Ford, who who are the biggest car manufacturer in the world and very successful selling kind of family saloons and occasionally rolling out a new Mustang, they're basically at a point where no one's really connecting with with the company. The brand is basically like dried up a little bit. And I think John Burnthell's character comes in and says, "Baby boomers are not buying these cars. Um, they're not sexy like Ferraris." And then we see okay, how sexy uh, Ferrari is. So the idea is, is that it's competing with this American very kind of corporate driven muscle car versus the kind of sleek sexy italian sports car so that's the kind of basic setup and all you need to know and then we proceed to have a, like two hours or so of um, two hours and a half two and a half hours <laughs> of that being sort of played out on the track with matt damon's character and christian per who work together to build this car with four that can compete against ferrari at le mans and I mean, Christian Bale's character is really compelling, I think, and his life story is fascinating and, and ultimately quite tragic. But I did feel like Carol Shelby isn't necessarily. I, yeah, I would not have chosen to base a film around that mm-hmm. guy, I think.
1: Interesting. Manuel, were you, are you a racing fan? Do you approach this with How trepidation? You no, know? no, I'm not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not a racing fan, and that was a very long film. But I was fairly entertained. I was surprised with myself at how entertained I was and up to a point. Like Adam said, I think the, the main draw is the acting again. And Bale is really interesting. I, I'm still not sure I, I liked this performance that much because it is so over the top. It is borderline caricatural. But he's really committing to it and it really brings some relief to this film which otherwise would be super slick because it's really slick. Like it, It's really trying to emulate the old movies of the 60s, 70s that were trying to be commercial and a bit cool and very cool and very kind of trying to be different and about, you know, big things like American dreams and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it does that pretty well. But still, yeah, I agree that Carol Shelby is not really a, a character. And he seems to have had an interesting story as well, because he raced Le Mans and he won. He was the first American to win it yeah I think. I think it's
0: just we don't really like learn or know enough no. about him in this film to warrant him essentially having his own timeline and his mm. own subplot and story in this film
2: it's, it's strange because he clearly has a lot going on like he has his car company and he has an airplane company as well like he's got a lot of stuff and he's putting everything on the line for this and it's kind of strange Strangely, not not addressed as much, which I think is because it wants to focus on the race itself, which mm-hmm. is you know yeah, which
0: I guess the main problem is that it's a twenty four hour endurance race, and so mm. I think it's it's a good ninety minutes or so into the film before we even get to Le Mans, yeah. right? So yeah, it's, it's sort of how do you how do you compact that into a compelling mm-hmm. segment or se- or section of the film, yeah. which I think it does to an extent. I mean the that section is where it really gets into the kind of meat and potatoes dad movie territory. And Mm. and I'm fine with that. Like, if that's what the film is, that's all great. But it does feel really kind of drawn out. And I mean, the last half an hour, you can kind of understand why they put it in there. It gives the film more dramatic shape and without kind of giving anything away. I guess it's trying to humanise these characters a bit more and and give a bit more for the audience there. But I just think it could have ended with the end of the race. And Mm. I would have been Mm. quite happy with that. You know, It does feel like it drags it out.
2: I think it's weighed down by the fact that it's based on a true story. Mm. And when it's based on a true story, you have to decide when you end and when you start. And, And so obviously, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's left off screen. There's a lot of stuff put in to kind of, yeah, as you say, give it shape. But I agree that that ending is kind of, feels, even though it happened, it feels forced, which is a problem. I guess it's that thing
0: of like you don't, just because something happened, it yeah. doesn't mean you have to include it. You have to it. think cinematic. You're not duty bound to, yeah. to, to have it in there. And like you said, there's loads of stuff which is which happens off screen here and which we don't see. Mm-hmm. And actually the whole, um, I think it's like several years, three or four year time, time frame between Le Mans, where we see Matt Damon's character kind of competing, and then the ultimate yeah. race at the end. That whole time span is really condensed to the point that it's often hard to
2: follow. Yeah, I was confused because I think when they first decided to do this, it's 1961. Mm. And then I was like, but the film is called (laughs) (laughs) 1966. What's
0: happening? Yeah, you're sat there looking at your watch like... Yeah,
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly. But my favourite thing about the film, I think, was everything before the race. It's the stuff when they are designing the car. And even though I'm not a massive car fan, that was super interesting. And also the challenges of just seeing technology and these guys really putting work into it and defying gravity and time and money and and the conflict between their ambition and Henry Ford II, played by Tracy Letts, amazingly. Hmm. He's always great, always incredible. It's really quite frustrating because... I think we are in a very cynical time now but I mean at the time it was the same and, and no it wasn't that long ago but but it, it's quite something to see how even before sports and stuff were so steeped in money it was already super cynical, all about branding and all about pretense. So that feels super relevant and well described. I think well played in the film.
0: Yeah, and the way that they depict and handle the the way that that this particular race ended is fascinating. I, I'm yeah. not sure the film is really drawing anything from that or commenting on on it necessarily, but it is feels very relevant to mm. to the kind of the corporatization of sport today.
2: Yeah, it's very much about advertising, and and it's also like there's a critique of Fordism in it, like literally, because at some point they. Christian Bale character is talking to Shelby and he's like you think these people want to use you but some guy is answering to some other guy who is answering some other guy and he gives like this really quite powerful explanation and it, it's true and that's what kind of happens and it's interesting to see that in a film made you know in Hollywood by these guys
1: Mm-hmm. Adam, you invoke the spectre of the dad movie, which this film I oh, yeah. definitely fulfills all the prerequisites for. Can we deconstruct that label a little bit, so if people don't understand what that means? But also, is there something in this movie that if you're not a dad?
0: Oh yeah, I mean it's not it's not dads only. But um, what? So like, what is a dad movie? What is a dad movie? I, a dad movie is fairly loosely defined, I think. But you know when you're watching one, mm-hmm. you know. I think it's like any kind of like John Wayne movie or like. We'll get on to Steve McQueen, but things like The Magnificent Seven. I think my dad's favourite film is Kelly's Heroes. That is like probably the ultimate dad movie. Mm -hmm. Something where it's men on a mission, basically. And there's very little padding or furniture to that.
1: I find the the modern day dad movie is sort of typified by people doing their jobs really well. Yeah.
0: Mm. I mean, Ken Miles in this, Mm -hmm. he's obviously shown to be an amazing racer. Behind the wheel of the car, but also under the hood. I mean, as a mechanic, he's almost got this savant level of, of like knowledge and insight. And yeah. he seems to be able to, when someone else is giving a car a test drive, he's able to, to spot why they're, you know, hundreds of a second slower than they should be. And it's mm. kind of some aerodynamic.
2: He's, yeah, he's a genius. That's yeah. what so Shin Bailey really has been doing and, and for he, And years he plays those characters really well. Yeah. We've seen
0: him kind of do it before. But I was very interested in, in that. It did make me think, I mean, I must admit, I don't actually drive, but... Oh. And I'm not really a petrolhead, but it did make me I uh, think this is fascinating. This is something I'd be probably
1: quite interested in. Mm. Interesting. And we're going to be talking about another film set at Le Mans very shortly mm. with the 1971 Le Mans. But let's put some scores on this before we do. Adam, I'll come to you first.
0: Well, it was being hyped up quite a lot, this film. It had a big bow at um, TIFF, I believe. Mm-hmm. And there's talk about whether they're going to maybe put forward Damon or Bale for the Oscar. And I don't know how you could... Put either forward, frankly, but really? um, they probably just cancel each other out. So I was quite excited for it. I'd maybe say a four in anticipation, and it certainly delivers. I think it ultimately loses its way a little bit and just doesn't have quite enough kind of fuel in the tank to justify its almost two and a half hour runtime. So three and then three for for me for the other mm-hmm. two.
1: Manuela,
2: I think same for me four three three. The other thing that made it less enjoyable for me is that it feels. It's it's a Dan movie also in the sense that it's very much pro conquering the elements, and you know it's a very forceful film. It's very much like they're pushing the car really hard, and that's supposed to be like cool and rousing, and it is in some way. but it's also just rule breaking and things like that that feels kind of unfair, and I don't want every movie to tell me to be a good person, but it's a bit like, yeah, saying, oh well. was all worth it and it's a bit yeah sure so that's it
1: (laughs) (laughs) well okay so Le Mans 66 is in cinemas this weekend let us know what you think if you do see that or Marriage Story at the usual channels at Truth and Movies on Twitter Truth and Movies at com via email or at the comments section at lwlies.com slash podcast up next Film Club more racing this time with Steve McQueen in Le Mans
0: Cool fact
1: This 1971 drama starred Steve McQueen as a racing driver competing in the dangerous endurance race at Le Mans while facing the trauma of a past accident. Something of a passion project for racing fan Steve McQueen, Le Mans was brought into existence by sheer star power and the industry goodwill accrued by hits such as Bullet and the Thomas Crown Affair. And the result was at a box. And the result was a box office flop. But how does it stand up now? What is so important about driving faster than anyone else?
2: A lot of people go through life doing things badly. Racing's important to men who do it well. I mean, racing, it's life. Anything that happens before or after, it's just waiting. Le Mans. The men. The machines. The motion picture. Steve McQueen stars in it. No one else could.
1: Well, that was Le Mans from 1971. The man, the machines, the motion picture. What an yeah. amazing tagline! <laughs> so interesting to find some dialogue in there because there's no dialogue for forty odd, for thirty-seven, forty minutes. Wow, well, that,
0: that scene is—it's um, probably the only significant dialogue exchange between two characters in the film. And just to kind of um, jump ahead a little bit, so I watched this, and I also watched the 2015 making-of documentary, Steve McQueen: The Man and Le Mans which is really, really worth seeking out. And I think actually even if you're familiar with the story and it, it just sheds a lot of new insight into the crazy making of this film and one of the things that is revealed in this is that they basically went into shooting without having a script. So the scene in question, it was like put to McQueen that, okay, we need to actually have characters and we need to have some kind of story and, and get to a point where we can we can introduce some maybe some romance or some, you know. So... I think it's like the hundredth round of different writers coming in and being given a a shot at writing a script and it's put to him that, okay, so, you know, you're sat in your trailer and this woman comes in and she says, hello. And you say, hello. And Sid McQueen's like, I'll stop you there. Wouldn't necessarily say that. (laughs) And so it's like back to the drawing board and this went on for months and months. And ultimately, I mean, what they get is I think that scene is quite incredible in, in the end and it's worth including in the film because it's a kind of distillation of this idea of what is what, what is driving him, what is motivating him mm-hmm. to be a racing driver. And it kind of seems a bit corny and a bit laughable today. But, you know, this is sincerely what he kind of believed in. This is like the reason he made the film. You know, he basically says, I'm living when I'm on the track and when I'm behind the wheel and everything else is just waiting. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, if we're talking about dad movies and, and this mm-hmm. this kind of ideology of the man who pushes himself and pursues greatness and battles the elements and everything else i guess it's in pursuit of of nothing really it's just like being in the moment it's just doing it for the thrill of it Mm. and i know obviously that has been expressed and told ad nauseum throughout cinema but i think there's there's such a kind of purity to the way it's portrayed here and the film as you say no one really talks in the film for the first 40 minutes which you think, wow, he went and took all the goodwill and money and clout that he had from things like Thomas Crown Affair, Magnificent Seven, had a blank check and just went and made this super like avant-garde, almost like anti-Hollywood movie where it's just racing footage. And that's kind of true. But at the same time, they just didn't have a script. They just didn't have a story. <laughs> um, they, you know, they set up camp a few miles down the road from, from the track. They set up camera rigs and really quite am- amazing stuff, like really innovative, groundbreaking camera rigs mounted on cars. So a lot of the footage you see from the track is is real. It's like mm. actual. It's someone racing in Le Mans. They filmed that for for the twenty four hours of the race, and then they basically returned to the track and filmed for about three or four months. Wow. Yeah, with McQueen driving, um, and he actually was intending initially to compete in Le Mans that year and he That's and his reason apparently it was like really it was insurance reasons of course but he ultimately said well i'd rather spend 3 months in the car mm. on the set than 24 hours in the car yeah. during and the actual race i'm risking my life yeah. which Not which finishing the, doc- the film. which yeah which the documentary really touches on uh, quite poignantly and beautifully the mm-hmm. uh, the idea of the risk of of racing and 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 kind of the consequences of it but yeah i think this is kind of amazing film Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a good film. Mm-hmm. But it's almost a film which you can see totally why it flopped and, and why maybe people didn't really get it. Because if you're not someone who's really obsessive about motor racing and there are plenty of people who are, and this film is now seen as quite a kind of cult thing and is really has a massive fan base within that community, I think you just think, like, why am I watching these cars driving around really fast for two hours? It's not particularly thrilling to watch however well filmed it is, I actually think it's only now kind of some 40-odd years on that you can really appreciate the film. It's almost this weird time capsule of like, not just what was happening at the time with Steve McQueen, but the actual filming, the filmmaking process, the techniques they were employing, Mm -hmm. maybe went over people's heads at the time or weren't appreciated. But now it just stands up as this ama- a, a kind of amazing um, piece of like history,
1: Hollywood history. I went back and read the New York Times review from its re- from, from release the, yeah. and, and it said dramatically it's a bore, <laughs> 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 complete, complete snooze boring. fest. But the technical footage of the racing was something they'd never seen before, especially mm. on a big screen. So mm. that has some real value looking back. Yeah. But I do wonder, I do contend whether this is one of those films that it's better to read around the film than actually watch the film, maybe watch the documentary about the film. Mm. Some of the stories are just incredible. You say how much Steve Steve McQueen invested to get this film made in the end he'd signed away his salary his cut of the profits and his creative control of the final cut
0: yeah I think they were several months over schedule and over one and a half million dollars over budget as well and Mm -hmm. Steve McQueen famously fought and fell out with John Sturgis who he'd brought on to direct and he actually kind of had a view of wanting to make a proper film and yeah, so so it was kind of a case where he was directing the film. He was he was really mm-hmm. leveraging his star power. And the guy that got into directing ultimately, Lee Katzin, was just a he was a kind of proxy director. He wasn't really um, pulling the string. So it, it sounds is, like a made up name as well. Yeah, it does. Right, it does sound like something you'd like an Alan Smithy that you'd stick on at the end. And but, his film
1: credits sound made up as well. He did two of the Dirty Dozen straight to TV sequels. Oh yeah, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And and so you know, it's just this fascinating account, I suppose, of Hollywood stardom and mm. almost like the the inherent sort of perils and, and shortcomings of that. I mean, Steve McQueen's quite open. In the documentary, you hear kind of snippets, audio snippets from him, and he's sort of talking about how, you know, being an actor is the best thing ever, but he hates being a movie star. But this film totally trades and relies on his stardom. Mm. And, I mean, he's playing this character. I mean, they give him a name, but, I mean, they may as well not is just Steve McQueen. You are, you are watching Steve McQueen, essentially in his element, doing his thing. And it's quite powerful, I think, seeing that now. And he's someone who has really endured as a screen icon as well, I think. Mm. And and this is kind of part of his, his, the mythology around him and his legend is sort of built off the back of things like Le Mans. Um, but actually the documentary, for, for what it's worth, it really does delve into his character and his personality and his behaviour at the time. And, you know, there's some pretty nasty, I mean, by today's standards, there's some stuff which comes out about how he was with people on set and mm. um you know he he basically really em- embraced and and lived this life of a kind of maverick hollywood star and they, they mm. say oh there's a different woman in this trailer every day and this kind of stuff so it does it, it's not that it doesn't pull any punches but it certainly reveals more than
1: um you, you suspect it will do about this guy yeah mm-hmm. Manuela, what did you make of this film? And Steve McQueen and star power, everything that I think you respond to usually.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. I think, like Adam said, that this film is only as interesting as you are interested in cars. I think it's also interesting if you care about movies and also about stardom. But, for instance, the technical elements are outstanding. Like he says in the film, like everything else is just waiting. There's a lot of waiting <laughs> until you get to the like cool cinematic bits. But for instance, all the things that are done in sort of strange slow motion when there's an explosion or or just someone turning around to look at him are incredible. They're so modern, but at the same time, very much of the time. And this stuff is incredible. And I think they probably used, I don't know, like different cameras or just they got creative in the editing room because they, they had to make a movie with the the content they had. But yeah, all that is super interesting. And yeah, the star power is clearly very much part of it. And I like that the character himself is uh, attacked by paparazzis all the time and they're all around him. And, and yeah, Steve McQueen doesn't need to speak. That's why he doesn't speak. He just needs to be Steve McQueen doing his thing. And that's compelling enough. Mm-hmm. Just seeing him not talk to this woman, for instance, like not saying the things that he should be saying, not addressing the big elephant in the room. That's super compelling. That's why I actually don't really agree with them, Adam, that this scene where they actually talk is useful because I i think it kind of kills the mystery. Mm. I'd rather have him express it in some more obscure way, maybe. I don't know. I guess but, yeah. it's
0: like useful in that it's it's Steve McQueen speaking. Sure, It's his own. It's like, he, you know, whoever wrote, I mean, he probably wrote those lines, but... Um, you know, it's very much coming from him. Mm. And this this one aspect I think is so fascinating of, of this film and what the documentary gets across really well is like he just had this like single track mentality that at the time no one really understood. And, and it's like, well, why would you want to make this film where there's no like dramatic interest mm. and there's no, the audience can't really invest in it. Mm. And it's easy and simple to just say he was just really into motor racing and he just wanted to capture that feeling and that experience. But I think what he was trying to do was actually a bit more radical and maybe even ahead of its time and, and you can look back at it now and say wow he, he totally battled against the system and made things in, in, in his way like no compromises mm. for better and worse ultimately for the film but I think what he actually achieved it kind of tore up the rule book a little bit for what could be expected of a Hollywood production of this yeah. scale and, and also what a star was and what they could, could achieve do. and could do mm.
2: I think maybe he was trying just to marry his love of racing and his love of acting mm. and in uh, cinema and trying to make something cinematic out of that experience which is hard when you're not a director and you're just the actor and you're trying to get people to understand your vision. Probably the director didn't do racing and that's, that's why that's something that actually is a bit maybe a little more present in Le Mans 66 where they talk a lot about the feeling of racing and how the world disappears and you're just a body moving through time and space. I think that's quite, that's what McQueen's Le Mans is trying to do as well. But maybe in those limited terms where, you know, they just had all this footage that's, you know, well captured, but maybe doesn't quite, cause you can't, you can't really capture that feeling probably. But I, I like the idea that he tried so hard to do it and. And in moments, he does achieve it, I think. Like all this slow motion stuff, the moment when he has an accident and then he kind of replays the scene back in his mind while completely sat there shocked in his car in the middle of the, the road is incredible. Like this is like cinematic and translates his experience in a very compelling, you know, no words way. And that's worth the hour and 45 minutes of this film, I think. Brilliant. I'm always
1: intrigued by that sense of the 1970s where racing was so glamorous and dangerous. And there were often, there were so many very famous fans of racing. You, know, you have McQueen, but unlikely people like George Harrison. Oh, wow. uh, the, the, one of his best albums albums has a song which is called Faster, which is a really naff song <laughs> about uh, faster than a bullet from a gun. He's faster than everyone. Nice. Maybe it's because I grew up in the Nigel Mansell years and it just didn't seem that glamorous or so cool. But oh,
0: Nigel, Nigel was cool. Had a good, he
1: had a good tash, but he, he wasn't exactly James Hunt, was he? He's not, yeah, he's not James Dean. Or... If we zoom out for a second, um, you, you mentioned, Manuel, about films struggling to capture that moment, that rush of, well, exactly rush being an example of this, films <laughs> that tried to capture the thrill of racing. Are there any films we'd hold up as being great in that regard? Adam,
0: the, the ones I would um, point out would be a few documentaries mm-hmm. which which cover specifically like British motor racing in the fifties and sixties, and, and and more recently the the Senna documentary. Mm-hmm. I think does that really yes. well. Asif Kapadia's film from a few years back, and that maybe focuses obviously a lot more on the human aspect, and the, and it tries mm-hmm. to kind of weave through this narrative. I think it does very successfully, and but the footage is real footage, so that's that's kind of why it's so compelling and. I mean, something like, for what it's worth, I think Le Mans 66 is a better film than on Howard's Rush. Mm-hmm. But they're essentially trying to do the same thing. It's about these two competitors, and they both contain very compelling footage of racing. But I guess you'd have to speak to someone who's actually been in a, a, a race like that and, yeah. and experienced it. And I attended races before, like not Formula 1s, but a similar kind of thing. And it's exhilarating as a spectator sport. I don't know that you could say that that's yeah. as exhilarating from a spectator being in a cinema watching mm-hmm. it. But I think you'd have to really have sat behind the wheel and to understand mm-hmm. what these guys are talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's why, I mean, you're saying about the mystery and the mystique of it. To me, that's why it really lands because hearing him talk about it, I still don't really get it. You know, I don't, yeah. I've don't, i not experienced it and I don't really understand it. And it's kind of fascinating and, mm. and yeah, just very mysterious. And yeah. there's something romantic and quite Definitely. alluring about it as well.
2: I like the idea that, I I think Le Mans, the one from 1971, captures the, you know, the metaphysical experience, like the aspects of, uh, you know, nothing else matters and time disappears and all that. In some moments, for instance, near the ending, there's just this kind of cheesy exchange of glances between him and the woman. And it like, it just keeps going back between them for like, I was like, this is gonna be so many, so (laughs) many close ups on their eyes. But it, as cheesy as it is, it kind of captures this mystery, this idea that. She kind of gets it now, but she also still doesn't. And he himself doesn't know if he can explain. And it's this big unknown and this big mystery. And the film ends and it's compelling in itself, even if not fully satisfying, even if there's a lot of other stuff around it.
0: And it ends as well with Steve McQueen giving the the V sign, which feels like a very pointed, (laughs) you know to sure. all the producers all the all the kind of industry bean counters and mm-hmm. I'm sure that was not that did not go down well at yeah. the time <laughs>
1: Well, that's Le Mans from 1971. Listeners, if you have a watch of that, let us know what you think. Or if you have any other suggestions for great racing movies, I'll throw two in the mix. Maybe not the subjective experience of racing, but the thrill of watching it. Speed Racer by the Wachowskis and the Japanese anime Redline, both films that just use CGI and animation to really stretch and warp our experience of cars going at speed.
0: I mean, Bullet and The Getaway are are better films and, and better kind of driving movies, in a sense, I think, than this. If you right. want to watch a kind of Steve McQueen from, from that sort
1: of era. McQueen in a car. Yeah. Next week, we have an animation special. We have Frozen 2. We have the French film I Lost My Body. And in Film Club, it's not animation, but it might as well be, it's Ken Russell's adaptation of the Who concept album Tommy from 1975, which is getting a re-release. We'll be back next week to talk about those. Manuela, Adam, thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production.